Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We're digging into the digital revolution and the profound impact it's having on every part of our lives, the business world, off into our personal lives. I think it's fair to say that the, the enterprise cloud now probably touches two to three billion people every single day. And a couple of the executives who are in charge of helping to ensure that that happens are with SADA Systems. So it's our pleasure today to speak with Tony Safoyan, who's the CEO, and Miles Ward, who is the Chief Technology Officer. Guys, welcome to Cloud Wars Live. Bob, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. By the way, I'm kind of excited on being on the same show with Miles. We usually divide and conquer these things, so this is, this this is awesome. Hey, hey, Miles, this is cool. Us. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, yeah, it is. It's a partnership thing, right? It, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, how about guys start us off? Give us a little bit of a context here about SADA Systems, Tony. I know you've been growing like crazy. You're a primary partner for Google Cloud. You're involved in some big transformative deals. Tell, give us a little background on what's going on, not only at SADA Systems, but both from you and Miles, what's going on in this crazy world here of 2021? Well, you know, I think the most definitive years of our journey have been the last two and a half years or so. Um, two, two years and one quarter ago, we actually divested the Microsoft Business Unit, went all in with Google Cloud, which was somewhat of a controversial, not well understood uh, move. Most of our peers were actually going the other direction. They wanted to be multi-cloud, making acquisitions and adjacent ecosystems, and we sort of went the other direction. Uh, that was actually what part of the reason we were able to land Miles Ward as our CTO. It just made perfect sense at that point. And since then, we've seen a tremendous acceleration of the business, um, actually spurred on by the pandemic in a lot of ways, and maybe not completely unexpected ways, but certainly uh, the volume and the, the velocity was probably a, a little bit surprising. Um, and now we see ourselves as, you know, 435 people growing to 500 by the end of the year. Um, and not just a GCP partner, which a lot of our peer group looks to be because they're, they're relatively new to the ecosystem, but having, you know, with Google, been with Google since 2006, we started an enterprise search, we built a very big Google workspace business, then a maps business and GCP. So we're also kind of comprehensive across the Google Cloud stack, which is also somewhat unique. And we're just, you know, perennially, but also just like weekly and monthly, so um, energized by the impact we see on our customers in their decision to go Google. And that's what keep, keeps us up, you know, at nights thinking about how to do it better and, and uh, what makes us excited week over week in this um, fast paced and challenging environment. Yeah. There's there's no customer that that adopts the Google platform stack without taking on some bit of change, and in an environment where you know pandemic sits in this category of forcing function for change, right? If everybody's going to be changing more rapidly, and there's every indication that the context in which all of us compete is constantly evolving, it becomes this sort of ever repeating drumbeat of like, I guess investing in being agile is gonna work out good. And so when I talk to customers, they say like, you know, how do I go faster? How do I become a relentless innovator? How do I get to a place where I'm really able to, you know, out-compete and out-change my competitors? None of those phrases rhyme with uh, renew my existing multi-year contract with a legacy vendor, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. We, we are certainly doing everything that we can to push as hard as we can 
for helping customers uh, embrace change, become agents of change, and and work hard uh, to capture all the opportunity that sits laying on the ground, open, ready for all of us to tackle if we can just uh, change to catch it. Yeah. So, um, Tony and Miles, too, I wanted to, you know, follow up on that a little bit. There's, uh, you know, as you guys have sort of alluded to here, right, it isn't just a matter of saying I that you're any business in any industry, I need to be a slightly better version of myself going forward. In fact, right, there's a huge, huge amount of reimagination and redefinition and, uh, you know, from culture, technology, business models, and so on. Talk about the role that SADA plays in helping those aspirations uh, come alive. I think by definition, the Google path is a deliberate path. It is a, the hardest decision to make if you're a CIO or an executive in a business. And uh, we're never the incumbent. Not never, but now almost, you know, we, we have a good, good install base, but most pursuits re, uh, involve replacing something that already exists around which there's a high degree of comfort. But they're, they're choosing the deliberately disruptive path because they intend to change something very meaningful about how their business functions. So on the workspace side, um, it's really about changing uh, the collaborative culture of the organization, the synchronous and asynchronous communication modalities that the platform uh, provides. Uh, in that sort of bucket is you know, all of our customers that were already on Workspace or about to complete their Workspace migration, like our good friends at Discovery, Dave Duval was my guest on the podcast, uh, is going to be the guest next week. Um, you know, they had a completely different experience moving to work from home than those that hadn't made that, that shift, right? So we saw that play out in a very explicit way. Um, but the GCP and Maps, those other platforms, the data platforms are really about serving their customers in completely different modalities and channels at scales uh, that they didn't imagine they would need to in a way that uh, doesn't involve them physically buying something or physically coming to some location to do that, right? whether it's products or services. And uh, and I think even before, like pre-pandemic, most traditional enterprises, for all their success, uh, were faced with literally hundreds of competitors that were trying to deliberately disrupt the way they did things. Mm -hmm. And we know that because we serve all those startups too. We serve all the traditional enterprises that are fighting for relevance and survival. And we're serving all the, all the startups that are actively disrupting them we see both sides and i think the pandemic just made a, a much like the compression algorithm for digital transformation was like that was the moment because i think most traditional customers felt like oh we'll, we'll have a long time to develop an e-commerce strategy or figure out digital or figure out curbside or whatever right but all of a sudden they didn't <laughs> and and now a lot of companies have made major leaps in the last year and a half there's still tons of work to do, but the good news is that there's still time. There's still time. Those, those, those traditional enterprises have huge inherent advantages. They have customers, they have distribution networks, they have uh, brands, <laughs> they have a lot of things going for them if they were just able to kind of get out of their own way and where their leadership could be bold enough to, to uh, take on these projects and, and really move away from operating in this sort of complete risk averse mode of what is the least amount of things I can do not to get fired from 
I'm trying to get promoted and change the world. And yeah. I think those are the customers that we want to work with. Yeah. Playing to win instead of playing not to lose. Precisely. Yeah. 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 We, we spend a lot of cycles, you know, companies are so complex. They have so many different team members, so many different departments. And it's, it's one of the spots where I think cloud is, is approaching companies in a very different way than, than how legacy technologies have, where there is a way for, yes, my company wants to become innovative, but I need the operations team to be more innovative. And I need the marketing team to be more innovative. And I need the human resources team to be more innovative, right? Like it's not just some top down edict that happens. We're going to be creative all of a sudden. It has to be pulled bottom up. And a big driver of that, right? Like you find somebody who is burnt, overloaded, work compressed, impossible to meet the expectations of others. Now they have a whole new set of changes they have to accommodate in helping people work from home or managing people who are now interacting with their product remotely. If they don't have the time to innovate, they won't. And so a huge amount of what we see as immensely valuable in the Google Cloud ecosystem of tools is just handing work to Google, right? Like. It's so great. Like I used to do all manner of staying up late, getting up early, making sure the data center didn't crash and implode, right? You got to switch out bad disks. You got to swap out the tapes. You got to sort out the networks. Google's problem. It's just yeah. there as they deal with it, right? Like try to keep the data warehouse working. Got to do vacuum your tables. That's actually a thing and all sorts of ridiculous stuff. BigQuery just works, handles it, no problem. And that time savings, great. You can get a couple more analytical outputs done. Great. You can get to a spot where, you know, these building blocks plug together maybe more easily but the real savings is with the people yeah. now those people get this opportunity to step back and go okay i have i have superpowers all of a sudden what what can we go do with these things right like that's that's an incredible unlock of potential inside of these businesses so miles and tony you know uh, building on that now that seems like there more and more organizations are ready to in one form or another go back to work what role can you folks play in that or, or you know from your customer side as well what are the things that are coming to you and say hey we really need help with this this and this i mean i think return return to work shouldn't mean return to normal right right because i think normal's gone <laughs> if, I, if i if i talk to our software developers who were already 50 percent remote before the pandemic this is not the day that I'm going to go, you know what? It's time for a bull, or, you know, what do they call the little rooms? A bullpen, right? We're going to put everybody into the same open room and we're all going to sort of shout over each other as we try to figure out how to concentrate and build path-breaking technology. Perhaps not. So I, I think that there's, uh, you know, the construction of what the future looks like that, that includes, I think, collaboration spaces and places to co-work. Tony and I have had some, some offsite meetings with our team now where it's like, Oh, I remember it is kind of great to get everybody in a room together and shout it out and yeah. figure out how to solve problems. We have to use the new tools of technology to make that just as efficient as we have now made all the remote communication. So like I'm on video calls all the time where I can use an automatic note-taking transcription system. Mm -hmm. I get into a face-to-face -face meeting with my buddies there's no notes. <laughs> this kind of sucks. Like, hold on, I, you know, how do I get that button back? Because that's a great button, right? So it's places like that where we have to bring some of the innovations that we learned by the pressure, by the the diamond mill of of the change that was forced by the pandemic, and keep those with us. They're great. Let's keep them applied. Yeah, I think our watch point internally at SADA 
for how we ourselves are going to handle this, but also for our customers is just making sure that we don't forget all the great lessons we've learned in this period of time, that we don't regress in our thinking, that we don't develop new uh, complacency, mm-hmm. you know, that we might have had in, in the past. I think if the pandemic had proved anything was that most of us were not prepared for anything. And I think the 2021 mantra and forward is your organization must be prepared for anything. And I think cloud technology by, by its nature is an enabler of that in significant ways. Again, workspace is one, but really everything else that goes along with that. How do you handle security, authentication? Like our customers, you know, we're like, our VPNs are built to support 10% of our users at any given time. Like <laughs> VPNs are not really a thing that makes you ready for anything, right? If that's the only way to get work done, it's it's broken system. So I think we encourage our customers and of course ourselves to not only be flexible in terms of the, the human aspects of what return to normal is, there's benefits to hybrid, there's value in getting together. Um, we see already some signs of customers like trying to publish formal policies They're like this is exactly what return to work is going to come back and these are very very smart people by the way yeah. very smart innovative thought leaders very successful They're like this is our new return to work policy two months later yeah we were wrong about all of that this is our new policy i'm like <laughs> are you sure you should be documenting it that precisely because i don't think anybody knows like yeah. just have some loose guidelines and figure it out. It's like, see how the how are people walking on the footpaths and then pave those roads later, right? Um, that's part of that. And, and and the other part is just like the strategic complacency, like, oh my God, everybody's gonna be back and we're gonna be, well, you don't wanna lose the digital side of how you access uh, or how customers access you in this new paradigm either. Just because the old channels are back doesn't mean the new channels are any less relevant. And areas like healthcare, there was a huge resistance in sort of this concept of telemedicine. It was cultural, it was generational. It was like telemedicine's like for the, you know, the the far reaching parts of the Amazon where you can't get doctors, like that's telemedicine. It's like actually 80% of doctor visits are a complete waste of time mm-hmm. in person. Like mm-hmm. and the healthcare system under the kind of pressure that it is, like we should keep that. <laughs> yeah. And that's just you know one one meaningful but small example. Well and they and they compound. Right, so you resisted telemedicine because you felt like it made a negative impact in the experience of the patient. You know, we find if I can meet them where they are and they don't have to do the two hour commute back and forth, I can meet more patients and serve them more successfully. But, but now I also have data and telemetry about those interactions. Mm-hmm. I have all the ability to learn and accelerate the delivery of great value. I can do all this analysis that makes it, that would have been you know, I've seen doctor notes. I don't know if you have their, the handwriting thing they talk about, that's for real. And mm-hmm. it is fairly difficult to do statistical analysis on the interaction of patients when it is documented by way of arbitrary scribbling. So having this stuff in a digital format unlocks all of the machinery that we have for learning that that is so rich in these digital spaces for spaces that have historically been a little too analog. Yeah. And uh, Miles and Tony, clearly each of your customers is unique. And Tony, you talked about how there's some very big enterprises, there's some startups, and you're working with lots of folks. But are there a couple, what you would call like consistent trends that you see that everybody's trying to sort of take forward from what we've learned over the last 16 months and make sure that that's woven into their digital transformation strategy? 
Yeah, Miles should start that one. Sure. I, I mean, I think there's um, overall in that same vein of making my problem somebody else's problems, right? Yeah. Like the, the original example of that is insurance. Yay, I can take on insurance. SaaS feels a little like insurance. Like, yay, I don't have to run a software development team and make this massive investment to build some tool that's just for me that I probably am not gonna do quite at the same level of capability as a central team that has a independent profit motive. And, and I certainly won't be able to maintain operations at that same level. So I see customers trying to move parts of their estate further left. Like how do I get the stuff that I have to build by hand into stuff that's built by a community in open source, the stuff that's built by open source, how do I get that managed by somebody else? If the stuff that's managed by somebody else, how do I get that where I just take delivery of it as a service? Let's move more and more of the work so that I don't have to deal with it. And that that trajectory uh, is, is uniform. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about ancient ERP stuff or whether you're talking literally about the Windows desktop, right? I mean, like just today, the Windows folks came out and said, we're gonna do, forget Office 365, that's cute. We're gonna do Windows 365. We've been working a lot with customers to do that kind of desktop work. We have great partners in that, Itopia and others that are going further, farther, faster to reduce the level of complexity there. And I think you're gonna watch enterprises everywhere try to figure out which partners they can work with that will move their actual, like what do I actually depend on at work today? Move it to the left. Tell me what it costs to get it from a lot of oversight, a lot of unique investment, a lot of specialty engineering resources, a lot of risk into some system that where I bear less of that. That's that's one major driver. The other thing that's moving to the right is I, I am not releasing any of those systems from the requirement of giving me the data when you're done. I want all the receipts from everything, right? Like, great, you've taken it all the way to SAS, except I want all of the output records and I yeah. want that centrally in my repository. So the more that companies are getting uh, their data integrated and connected, they're able to actually extract value from it. And I think the price point for doing so was so exceptionally high for so long, there was kind of a, you know, a, a thermohaline current, a subdivision in the world, like below here, that data is spending and you should not analyze it. And above here, yeah, you sure, fine, fine, fine. That's your you know, business revenue. You probably need a report about that. So that, that threshold is going way down. And so whole areas of the business that were before like, maybe we keep this data and someday we'll grind it. To, that day is definitely today. All right. Right. And so there, you know, the opportunity to learn from that data and to apply those learnings real time inside of the customer interaction cycle, inside of the service cycle, inside of the patient support cycle and others is just a, a critical, critical path. Yeah. On the on the unstructured side of like SaaS software collaboration and the data related to that, what we saw also in in the beginning of the pandemic is because some companies didn't have any remote ability to collaborate what they went and did was buy everything uh -huh. and like bespoke so they bought zoom and box and dropbox and g suite workspace and miro for digital whiteboard and slack and all so like there was like this massive sprawl of tooling because they had none and they had like carte blanche go by put on your credit card whatever so now we're 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 seeing sort of a little bit of a come to reality, not only because costs went out of control, like it shouldn't cost $350 per user per month to collaborate within the company, right? Uh, but also to Miles' point, all this unstructured collaboration data is like, where is this RFP? 
Like, how am I going to find this? Where's this email? Where's this note that I took? Like, it can't all reside everywhere. It's just actually massive pain. And so we're seeing a lot of our customers pull that back, consolidate Google Workspace, all the great work that Javier Soltero is doing on the product roadmap, uh, closing the gaps with Zoom and, and other things. We're seeing a lot of migration on from these like disparate, disconnected, siloed systems into Workspace, where with a single search bar, you can find all that stuff and you're, it's a common platform. And on the sort of infrastructure data side, uh, the journey path still seems to be, as there's, a, there's still tons of infrastructure migration to do. Um, it's still probably our biggest team, right, Miles? Infrastructure modernization, infrastructure migration, some replatforming, some not. But the natural journey seems to be, first, it's about like compute and storage. Then it's about the data. Then, but but not even like, but data engineering, like getting the data consolidated, cleaned up in a way that makes sense, right? There's no duplicates of stuff. We know single source of truth, tons of work there. Then only, only then can you really get into like data science, analytics, MLAI, right? Like that seems to be the natural order of progression. And yeah, our data team is probably growing the fastest, but our infrastructure team is still the biggest and growing rapidly. So it seems to be that we're still in a very, very early stage of getting to a point where for most companies, they can truly leverage data as a as a super weapon um, or a part of a, like the core differentiator in their strategy, how well they understood their customers, how well can they predict trends. I think that they're still, I mean, we're in a very, very early stage of that. And we also happen to think that that's one of Google's own superpowers is how they, with BigQuery and other aspects of the tooling, how um, even if you're well invested in other clouds, you might choose Google just for that part because uh, Google's better at that than 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 almost anyone else. Yeah, yeah, uh, guys. I wanted to mention an example today. I'd seen a, a transcript, a conversation between Rob Enslin and uh, Bernd Lukert from Deutsche Bank, and Bernd Lukert did a terrific job of enumerating some of the benefits. He said even very early on, he said we've got a long way to go, but. In addition to the technological things, and then he talked about, as you guys have been saying, the compute, the storage, he said, get, you know, as Miles, you know, push it over, have it be somebody else's problem, a lot of these things, the security part of it. But he even talked about how, if you do this right, he said, then the customer's company, in this case, Deutsche Bank, he said, you have an entirely different profile to the world as far as talent and being a magnet for really good people want to come work at a place where it's exciting and it's dynamic. And Bernd also said that that becomes then a culture change inside the company as well. So could you talk a little bit about how, you know, the work that you guys do in partnership with Google enables not just a technological rebuild, but in fact, this extends into, you know, their culture, their talent, their ability to grow and thrive. Before well, Miles answers that, I want to yeah. celebrate the fact that a 151-year-old bank has gone all in with Google yeah. Cloud five years ago, Impossible. no banks wanted to touch any cloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's just find out how far we've come in five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a massive sea change. I so I I think the talent argument is an absolutely critical one, and you you have to think about it again from the sort of individual perspective of the single engineer employee. You know, there's, you know, we 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 talk about a lot, right? Like, there's a lot of work out there in legacy IT systems. And lots of those systems run those businesses 
and those businesses are growing. And so you, you can approach an employee and say, I need you to learn this domain specific, utterly proprietary, commercialized, so only usable by companies that are like me system. And I need you to get exceptional at it because we really beat it up. And uh, the future for your department is shrinking over time. And your your ability, you know, like I'm not going to be interested in you using any of those skills in the next generation of our, of our technology. So study up, right? Like dive into those courses, my friend. You're going to have a great time. Or you go to the same team and say, this is the future of the business. And we are about to make an investment that will change the trajectory of the company forever. And we're going to get an order of magnitude, actually, in the most recent studies out of Dora, Dora, it's 30 times more done than your buddies in that other team. Wow. Your story as an employee is about what you get done, not about the corporate strategy or which code language it's written in about getting stuff done. So yeah. being able to come to them and say, with containerization, with Kubernetes, with open source software, with the work in a modern CI CD system, they know how much friction there is in the old way of doing this. Friction is pain, man. It's pain. And so I, I know a lot of companies that that meet pain with money. They go, fine, fine. In order for you to learn this abhorrent thing, I will pay you a catastrophe of dollars to be able to figure out how to use this old cool system. So it's worse for the company. They got to pay more for the talent. It's worse for the employee. They're investing precious brain cells and years in something they know they are never going to use again. And it, none of it contributes to a faster way of delivering what all of us actually want, which is more stuff getting done. So the smart employees have more, this is a seller's market, right? Employees yeah. have the pick of the litter. There, there is a challenging environment for accessing great technical talent. And I'm telling you that first talk track is not a way to hire <laughs> the best in the market. So you, you, may, you may do the napkin math on the dollars and cents of a given application, it's already depreciated. I've paid for this thing for a million years, but it, if it costs you a quintuple to have smart people applied to the problem, it doesn't matter, right? So there, there is a, um, a very real drive uh, for companies. And we heard this all the time at Google where, you know, if we could sell Google's culture, creative, innovative, willing, willing to try new experiments, experimenting all the time, uh, you know, data-driven, technology-led, eager to, to identify the customer problem at scale and solve it globally. Like, if, you know, if I could buy that culture, do you have it as a skew? What does that cost per month, yeah. right? And we go, eh, can't, you're, not, you're not available for sale. Yeah. But the thing that can, right. I can guarantee will screw your ability to get at that culture is pouring friction all over your work process, which is how you currently work, my friends, yeah. right? Yeah. So the the process of working together to get collaboration out of the way make that seamless and frictionless get development and the development environment straightforward transparent seamless all of that work to reduce friction is what gives people the capacity to take on those sort of cultural approaches colgate paul Malov, even old, older than deutsche bank 215 year old organization five six seven years ago i remember working with diane green at the time and micro I mean, their whole initiative, their whole charter about going Google, first with Workspace, and now they, they then became one of the early adopters of SAP on GCP, was all about engineering culture and attracting the best talent. They're like, all the talent we're going to go pursue who's graduating, the future information workers, they've never even seen a Windows laptop. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know what job it is. What are you talking about? Have you ever about? heard of like, that? 
They're like, huh? Eighty percent like market share in higher education, right? And they're learning Python, they're learning JavaScript, etc. Open source has kind of eaten that world, right? So they wanted to embrace that for for those reasons. But I think the other part of this, Bob, and you and I talked about, like, what's the impact of partners in this whole thing, yes. and why do partners like Sada even exist? And and leading in in a lot of markets is, I think this has also challenged the way traditional IT services delivery is done. Mm -hmm. uh, the global systems integrators, absolutely necessary. They're great, they do a great job, but their typical MO of really focusing on outsourcing core competencies, body shopping as much as they can, offshoring as much as they can, because IT was seen as a pure cost center and, and that's sort of the MO of going in. That's why you know the Fortune 100 would hire them. I think this is a, I think in today's world, that's a tragic mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way that we go to market and we service our customers, yes, of course, we also have people that are stationed at customers for long periods of time, but the entire engagement model is about enabling their teams, yeah. getting them certified in GCP, which, by the way, happens to be the highest paying you know, cert certificate you can get right? In, in sort of the ecosystem. The Google Cloud uh, Certified Architect is like the highest paying degree right? in our world. Um, and it's a very different engagement model. And it is way better for the company and for certainly for the people that work in those IT organizations. And that's what's going to make those companies a, a, a very attractive place to work. When the, if you think about that, that decrease in risk, that shift left of the work, right? Like that certification that Tony's talking about, I wrote about a quarter of the questions on it. So if you're trying to work together with folks who have been where you're trying to go and, and kind of know what the answers are on the back of that sheet, being able to have a partner, not that does all of it for you, but but starts from the outset with the expectation that we got to teach you how to fish, we got to run along with you, we got to show you what it looks like to work this way. That's that's an entirely different experience than this is the fixed rate for managing this over the course of the next decade, and we will lock this in in advance. Like we we're trying to be collaborative with customers in the same way as we want to help them collaborate internally. Well, guys, it sounds like you know uh, one of the things that your company in particular is able to impart to customers is, right, we all as human beings have a tendency, right, we get closer and closer and closer to something and we see it in a certain way, but it's a limited perspective, right? We don't see the large issue, the larger picture. And I've just, I've always gotten a chuckle out of this over the last, whether it's three, four, five, six years, uh, you know, the, uh, the cloud will kill you know, partners, it will kill channel, kill it, blah, 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 when it will if those channel players or partners aren't willing to change and aren't willing to try to say, okay, in a world of higher level value of a lot of change and disruption, I need to play that game too. So when you talk about those sorts of things, like, hey, instead of us being the, you know, the experts that everybody bows down to when we walk into the company, why don't we make them the experts? Why don't we impart what we know? So just, again, a different mindset that leads to faster, bigger, broader outcomes. And I can see why a lot of your customers say, hey, you did such a good job. Come on back, help us with this, help us with another thing. The next thing and the next, absolutely. You know, that's, it's so funny. I mean, the cloud has killed some partners, of course. And uh, I remember in the Microsoft business, uh, Judson Altoff kind of got on stage at um, the North America when he was running the North America business uh, or, the, or the America's business and he was like, most of you will not be here in the room in three years. <laughs> like you will not be at this event. You will not be at WPC, right? And and he was right. Like uh, 
this is the fastest changing kind of ecosystem there has ever been. And um, a lot of partners fail because they, they, they don't um, realize the, the impetus to, to change and grow and morph with it, whether it's capabilities or, or, or business model, et cetera. Uh, but I think there's actually today more partner opportunity than there's ever been. And by the way, worth saying, kudos to Google for being a very partner-centric organization at the core. And Microsoft does a very good job with this. But some ecosystems, partners are viewed as a, as a necessary evil. Like, I wish I didn't need them. I can't wait until I can cut them out of the value chain. Like, that's how that, you know, not, yeah. not name names. Maybe you can guess where I'm alluding to is like, Google plays a very different game with regards to that. It really comes even from their ads DNA. It's a very partner-dependent um, revenue stream. And and Rob Enslin, uh, Thomas Kurian on down, Kristen Kliphaus, Janet, like everybody, um, they've shifted absolutely in the direction of making partners more of a priority, uh, doing more deals through partners and with partners, allowing them to participate in the consumption economics and in the in the and the subscription economics of the business, which again, creates a very different set of alignment incentives. Like if you're buying from the same company that's supposed to deploy it, they're gonna make sure that they're gonna deploy it right. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. buying your software somewhere else and some other third party's deploying it. Like the person who sold you the software doesn't really care if it ever gets deployed, neither does the person delivering it. They're just trying to be there as long as possible. Like, so mm -hmm. it's very, very different incentives. And I think that's what the MSP construct at Google is really special about. And um, and, and that's really been the cornerstone of our strategy. And I think customers understand that. Like we're buying it from you and you have to make it successful. Wow, like that's a lot of accountability. Like, yep, we like it that way because it drives the right behaviors. Yes, yes. Um, guys, so uh, Miles, you had talked before about the idea of you know relentless innovation. Uh, how is SADA helping to impart that sort of mindset and those capabilities to your customers? Sure, I, I think there are a couple of, of critical examples, right? One one of them is that none of this stuff is ever done, right? Like you can, we have a customer uh, at MakerBot. MakerBot, uh, you know, I knew the founder's brother who was a buddy of mine when I worked at AWS. He was one of the very first salespeople at Amazon. So if there's gonna be like a company that has like successfully, the, you know, the one some of the earliest AWS case studies are about these guys deploying their marketplace on AWS. So, so okay, like they don't have a data center problem. They don't, they, you know, they're, they they did a very innovative thing. They're 3D printers, right? They're the guys that have initiated this revolution yeah. in the market about how you create things in three-dimensional spaces. It's an incredible product. But for them, you know, yes, the very next step in that is figuring out, you know, is there an environment where we can do this more efficiently? Is is EC2 instances the the end all be all state in technology? Perhaps it isn't. So we did some work together with them to lay out what the infrastructure would look like on the Google side. They they are using Kubernetes from us, which is a, a open source platform that makes a bunch of this stuff much more straightforward. And the net effect for them is about a thirty percent cost savings. But that's not where like. Like yes, that's where the case study stops, but it's not how the relationship ends. They yeah. they want to know exactly what the next thing is, where they can shave another thirty percent off, or whether they can gain a thirty percent advantage on their side. And we have all sorts of projects in plugged into them, so it's it uh, that that concept of using the gains in not you know some of these projects. I think from from old school providers would be multi year you know huge transformational shifts. You could do that inside of a corporation's budget year 
I'm pretty sure that's your budget to spend until somebody figures out that you're that much faster by the time you're going around for the next negotiation. So being able to use those dollars to capture the next opportunity, the next one after that, to turn 30% into 40%, 40% into 60%, right? Like our, our customer really, you know, incredible folks at Madhive, they, they're they they're at the 60% mark, right? Like they've done several iterations of this and now they're even, even deeper into the savings in, in comparison to other places. So it's spots like that where, um, you know, capturing the momentum of working in this way is such a critical part. Another another big example of that is places where we, we do the kind of ground foundational work in data. We did a project together with the folks at HCA in response to the pandemic, you know, absolutely terrified about the interchange of data between hospitals so that all the doctors knew what was going on. What is the trajectory of change? And it'd been one thing if we like, gobbled up all their data and sent them back a CSV file and said, best of luck, gents, like have a good time figuring out what this looks like. And we could have built a web interface private to them that made it so that they could share this data around internally, but they saw the opportunity to make that completely open wide to the public. But the, you can imagine the, <laughs> the requirements are somewhat different, my friends, for putting an interactive dashboard on the public internet in comparison to a private one for a couple hundred doctors. So being able to use the tech that we built on the Google side together, the, the fine folks at Looker, the incredible stuff that we, we, we acquired into the business, as well as the superpower of Google's BigQuery, we, we built that in weeks, like done, out, public, ready to go, in, in time for it to actually be useful in practice. And that, that kind of opened up their mind about, okay, like, okay, that, that's, the, like, that's how fast fast is. We yeah. want to work that fast all the time. Like, how do we how do we look through every one of the different workloads that we're taking on and approach them in that same kind of way? Do you mind? So, I want to ask guys one final question, Tony, of you, and then uh, each of you sure have an opportunity to give a, a final word, a final thought. Um, Tony, I think it's unique, maybe, with Sada, with uh, sort of the family aspect that you have. That your parents started the company. You've been involved in it. That I don't think there's a lot of second generation leaders of companies like Sada. What is that like for you, and how does that affect what, how you think every day, and what you bring to the company? It's interesting you ask that. Actually, um, when my kids became of school age, we were looking to like where do we send our kids, and kind of based on the area that we live in in, in LA. You know, the private option seemed like a good option, but there's lots of great choices, right? The, the school's been around for decades. They all have great brands. The, the school we ended up choosing was focused just on K through six. So they were not trying to do everything, K through 12. And when you have K through 12, all the investment goes to the upper school. It's just how it works. But also the woman running the school was the daughter of the founder, her dad. Uh -huh. Uh -huh who founded it in 1953. Like her approach, her obsession with like whole child and excellence and just the, just the attention to detail and, and um, where, where, the, where, the, where the graduates would end up and did they go to the school of their choice? Like it was, it was so deep and meaningful to her at like the, uh, at the DNA level. Mm -hmm. Because clearly, like we understood why that school seemed to be so well run, <laughs> but it, because it actually was, and for her it was personal. She was not just a, you know, a headhunted head of school CEO, you know, hired by Corn Ferry or whatever. Um, 
Not that there's not great executives like that. Of course there are. We have several of them at SADA. Um, so for me, I think uh, as someone who sort of became the CEO in 2003, where I definitely did not probably deserve that title, but um, it has been a very personal journey with regards to a little bit of that immigrant mentality. Like I also was born in, in Armenia. So and I was the only child. And when I decided what I did not want to do, which is I didn't want to go into, into medicine, this became like the the calling. This became the mission. And when when we started to realize in 2006 and seven in our relationship with Google that we had this very unique opportunity that comes around once every 30 years to not only um, participate in this massive paradigm shift, but be driving the shift from the front yeah. you know i felt a tremendous amount of responsibility not just to my family and our legacy but really to every single person at sada that has that that has and is going to join this journey and i think there's um a way to do that right where you maintain all the magic of a family environment without any of the hokiness and the drama <laughs> <laughs> It's a and tough gun. Right. It's really an amazing um, type of culture that you can build. And uh, we're going to continue to maximize what we feel like is a competitive advantage of being a very different kind of culture where we've also haven't raised any money. Nobody's telling us what to do. Nobody told us to go and build a board the way that we did. Um, yet we've attracted some of the most talented, amazing uh like miles executives in the world to come join us on this journey right and so i think our customers feel that um only because our people do that's the only way to do that um the people experience at sada is different we too are competing for all the same talent that our customers are and google is and amazon is and microsoft so people come here because it feels different and they get to make maybe a disproportional impact on the market and the customers that we serve and um i hope to always be in a position where i'm able to put people first and um things like meeting all of our first hire you know our new hires you know when they join and and and, and running the town halls and all these other things i get to do i think if we get the people part right bob that we'll continue to be able to serve our customers in a very unique and differentiated way yeah yeah well, Miles, that could be a tough act to follow, but uh, final thought from you. Sure. I, we are, uh, I am very lucky to work at a business that, that thinks long-term and thinks about customers in the way that Tony and his family has enabled all of us to. It's, it echoes, you know, the stuff that I have been fighting for in my career for a really long time. So it was, you know, like just sort of, I, I started meeting people. I was like, oh, this is, this is home. This is great. This is exactly the way that I want to be able to deliver value to customers and uh, and being able to work together. Uh, you know, it's felt like a gestalt, right? You get one plus one and equals three, and we've been able to make I think a really incredible impact for for those customers. Though it, it it isn't enough for us to take those first steps to help them understand what's possible to you know get to a place where they're seeing value from the product because I I bear this burden of a, a clear idea of where they can go right i remember being told all the time by my teachers like miles you're adorable you have a lot of potential 
And I look at our customers and I try to like not say it quite the way my teachers did because it certainly annoyed the snot out of me. Uh, you know, you, wow, you have incredible potential, right? And that that opportunity that exists in companies to go so much further, so much faster is so big. And you can see the deltas, right? Like there's a bunch of statistics that talk about, you know, one, how much faster it is to get into the Fortune 500, which has this sort of corollary of how much faster it is to get kicked out. Uh, and, and that, uh, you know, helping businesses realize and capitalize on, on this sort of context to change and the opportunity for them to capture that next round of potential. It's just, it's just immensely exciting. And, uh, and frankly, like keeps this job fresh for our customers and for our employees, right? I get a new wacky customer doing a new wacky thing every day and we get to be imaginative together with them on this really incredible journey. So it's, it's, it's been an incredible fun time. Thanks, Miles. Tony, anything you want to say in wrapping up? Since you brought it up, special shout out to Hovig, Safoyan, Annie Safoyan, dad and mom. Dad's the chairman of the board now. Still very active in what we're doing in our global de delivery center ambitions in, in, our, in Armenia and elsewhere. My mom still comes into, into work every day. She's in charge of treasury and other functions with our CFO now, tightly lined. They love what we do. They love the people at SADA. Uh, Annie is the heart of the company. Um, and the fact that we've been able to grow something so big, far beyond our imagination, you know, when this whole thing started, even far beyond what we thought was possible maybe five years ago, right? Is, a, is an amazing credit to them and their vision and uh, the way that they supported me and all of our team members to um, fulfill our potential. Uh, we're still, we haven't, we have a long road ahead of us, but the, just the fact that we got here is, is completely a credit to their early vision and continued support. Well, great guys. Thanks so much. This has been fascinating, understanding more about uh, what SADA does, how it does it, what you're seeing in the market. And uh, I think, you know, too, right? We hear a lot of today about transformations really have to be business led, not technology led. And in the same way, you guys are saying people led, not just uh, this, this stuff is a part of it, but it's the people that make a difference. So thank you so much for being here and sharing, you know, some great stories with us here. Thank awesome. you, Bob. Thank you so much. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We've had a great conversation with Tony Safoyan, the CEO, and Miles Ward, the CTO at SADA Systems, a great Google Cloud partner. See you next time.